Welcome to another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast, Journeys of Descending into the Mysteries and Rising from the Roots. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, spiritual mentor and priestess. I have guided hundreds of women through my one-to-one mentorship, online courses, and Patreon portal. Guided women into the mysteries within them to rise rooted into their sovereign selves. Today I have Christina Louise on the show with me. Christina is a devotional feminine arts and polarity-focused union mentor who supports women in restoring their relationship to their feminine core on all levels. This includes healing their relationship to the masculine and the father, reclaiming their birthright of embodied surrender, unlocking their feminine magnetism, releasing old somatic spiritual and energetic trauma, opening their wombs and awakening their life and love force via the heart and pelvic floor and more. She is a very energetic and catalyzing practitioner and soul midwife deeply trained in the healing arts, alchemy, embodiment, and the mysteries. But is most deeply passionate about the restoration of union and devotional femininity, as well as the return of women to their most fertile and life-giving embodied feminine essence. So much wisdom and magic in this episode. I can't wait to sink in with you. Welcome, Christina. And so to start, I know that there are many, many facets to the work that you are offering the world, the medicine that you're offering the world. And so to start, we're going to start with the journey that has led you to this, this latest thread of magic that you're offering the world. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm really happy to be here with you today. And um, yeah, so, you know, I think what comes to mind first to share is that for many, many years, I was um, really teaching and holding space within the realms of the feminine, like the feminine arts, the feminine mysteries, Um, you know, many years there teaching around like the divine feminine, so to speak, and that kind of evolved with time. But what more so led me to where I'm at now teaching more around union and, um, the masculine and the feminine that really came through a process that I went through last year that, I mean, it started before that I will say like there were many, many years of healing that I had to navigate in my own relationship to the masculine to even get to this point of wanting to offer this for women as well on the other side. But after many years of doing deeper internal work in my healing, my relationship to the masculine within myself. And that was very much like full spectrum between men in general, like romantic partners, my father, my relationship to the masculine aspect of God, so to speak, like that work led me to a process last year that was, we could say a little bit of a a death process in my work where I really had to um, completely kind of burn down some of my own teachings and sort of start from scratch. And what sort of initiated that process was I I wrote an edgier post the very beginning of last year that was talking about um, things that I had been seeing commonly in all of the women that I had been holding space for over many, many years. And that is in relationship to sort of masculine and feminine dynamics and a really deep desire and yearning within the feminine to be um, 
we could even say this is a really edgy word, but I'm going to go ahead and use it like to, ex to experience masculine dominance and leadership in a way that allows deeper safety in a woman's nervous system to be in her natural feminine energy and feminine essence. So I wrote a post about this that was, was edgier at the time for me. I had never really written actively like something so public um, in like in an actual post that was speaking to those dynamics of like mass masculine dominance, we could say feminine surrender. And it triggered a lot of people in my community because at that time I had a different audience than I have now. And so um, there were a lot of people within certain communities, um, certain sectors of communities that took the post very personally and kind of attacked me and, and basically mm -hmm. said, well, I'm being, um, you know, I'm not being inclusive and I'm not accounting for certain communities and certain sectors of, of people. And um, there were also a lot of people that loved the post, you know, there was like kind of both ends of the spectrum, but it stirred up so much that I took six, six months away from posting anything on Instagram. I started just kind of running my Instagram through my stories because I felt so afraid of being attacked after that particular post. And I had to go through this whole process of excavating my own persecution wounds and fears of like being in the public eye, like a lot of resistance to the, the calling of my work. And I really had went through just this massive process of second guessing, you know, questioning, diving deep into like reflection, um, really getting super solid in my own beliefs and my own core. And that took many months before I really felt ready to um, come back out into the public again and start posting publicly, which I did October of last year. So it's been almost a year now that I, that was when I first started posting after a six month break. And in that time I was sharing a lot in my stories and I kind of limited certain people so that I felt safe to share my beliefs. And as I was doing that, a lot of people were coming to me and saying, you have to go public with this because as edgy as it is and as uncomfortable as it is for certain people, you can't be suppressing your voice because it's so needed and everything that you're sharing is so resonant and relevant in these times. And the more people that came to me telling me that, the more I started gaining courage to kind of come out of hiding again and start posting publicly about a lot of what I had been learning and studying at that point for, for a good period of time. It was just that my own studies had kind of gone down more edgier pathways at this point um, last year. And so I finally just got a very strong sort of nudge from the divine, so to speak, that if I were to step forward and start teaching more openly about masculine and feminine dynamics and union, which is really a big missing piece in a lot of divine feminine realms online or sort of new age goddess circles and all of that, there's a huge missing piece in relationship to um, the masculine and just natural, um, the natural polarity and flow of masculine and feminine energy has become a really edgy topic in our current world because of just the direction things have taken in sort of mainstream culture. And so there was a strong message that I got from the divine that was, if you start sharing and speaking publicly about this, you will be protected in it, but you have to trust your own voice and you have to start not second guessing yourself and your beliefs because of your fear of what other people might think like you're going to trigger people you're going to piss some people off but you're also going to massively help more people the more you come out into the open and share you know 
with a lot of just transparency, these teachings. And the more you step forward and do that, the more your sort of channel or vessel will open to allow, you know, the divine to come through. And, and that, that would be a protective, protected journey for me, so to speak. So in October, I kind of made another appearance and posted something called to be kept, which is mm. funny because now my, my primary program that I'm running for women or mastermind is called kept. And I didn't know that at the time when I wrote this post and it, you know, it took off like a lot of people just immediately took to it. My account massively grew when I came back from that break in a, a period of a few months, I grew thousands of followers from sharing these beliefs that I had been really terrified to share beforehand. So it did take the burning down of parts of my identity that were too attached to what people thought, really attached to being liked or being understood or, you know, not triggering anyone, not creating a stir, so to speak. And I had to really take a hard left and, and choose like, well, do I want to be in alignment with my own Dharma and with, with my own mission and purpose here on this planet? Or do I want to please people and not trigger them and kind of cater to, you know, um, whatever it might be like, just the, the delicacy of certain things, or do I want to suppress my own voice? And like, what is the true cost of that in the long run when there are many, many people that need and are yearning for and hungry for these teachings and have been asking for them and sort of wanting to return to this deeper knowledge and understanding and wisdom around masculine and feminine energy and union, which is really quite ancient. It's not new. It's just been suppressed and hidden and distorted in our current world. And there's been a literal war against these teachings. So it was a huge kind of spiritual passage for me to have to pass through this threshold of so much trust in the divine and in God and in my own beliefs that I was willing to let anything else die in the fire, including people in my community or other people, you know, what, um, not only being triggered, but possibly you know, abandoning me, so to speak, or, or all these different pieces came up. Like, what if people in my own life um, don't want to continue to engage with me if they're triggered by these beliefs, if they, whatever it might be, um, I had to face all of that and basically choose, choose my path, so to speak. And I was rewarded for that, but it's, it's been a lot of, um, it's required a lot of willingness to sacrifice parts of myself that um, again, wanted to be liked or wanted to be popular, so to speak. Actually, I, th I feel like I became more mm -hmm. well-known on the other side of all of this, but it required this deep death process, which a lot of people didn't see that part of the beginning of my journey was like a massive um, death and rebirth process that did require me to face a lot of, um, just a lot of confronting, you know, wounds and beliefs within myself so that I could stand strong and be a, a more so a pillar for others on this journey. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that um, magic and what it feels like when you were speaking to kept and we'll go, we'll go more into that, but that like masculine dominance and feminine surrender, it really feels like like the feminist movement really brought forward men and women competing. And I, I, I was a single mother, so I was very much like, I can do it on my own and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And where we're, where a woman is trying to make it in quote unquote, a man's world. And what, what your work feels so much like is more, you know, like letting the masculine take the lead in the scene, you know, the feminine is, 
as the Oracle, she's taking the lead in the unseen um, and being okay with the masculine taking the lead. That's what really comes forward, you know, cause I know at one point in my life, I would have been like, Oh no, I don't want the masculine. Yeah. To take the lead. Like, <laughs> yeah. Gross. Of course. Yeah. Common. Um, but it feels like it's really coming back to that because what we're seeing in the world right now, and I read one of the books that you recommended, I have it on audio, the Oracle, the queen, the princess and the whore. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he speaks, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of medicine in that book for sure. Was I triggered? Of course, but yeah. triggers are good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally good. But, but what he speaks to is we're in a, a world where there's a lot of weak men because men don't know their place yes. in the world, right? Like women could basically, or can basically do anything on their own now. And, and, you know, so they've lost their place, but we need strong men. It's like, we need the masculine to rise with us when we can't do it on our own, no matter how much we think that we can, like they are our complement. Um, is anything coming forward for you around this as yeah. I speak to it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, um, sort of paradox that we find ourselves in, in this world, because in reality, it's like, it's true. Could we say that, um, certain things have driven women to this point and driven men to this point? Absolutely. On both ends of the spectrum, we both have been intentionally separated from our need of one another in different ways, you know, and it's interesting because so many women share or carry similar beliefs to what you're speaking to. Well, like, well, no, of course, like, or triggers or whatever we want to say, like these belief systems of, well, why, why would I want that when like that feels controlling or like I, I I've got this all on my own, but in reality, we've been driven to that. And it's not actually our true nature as women to desire, to do all these things on our own, to be single mothers, to raise our families and be in the workforce, you know, driving ourselves into the ground. Like that is not actually our original design. Does it mean we can't do those things? No, this is not speaking to like the ineptness or weakness of the feminine. It's just that our, our primordial essence is not of the same nature of the masculine primordial essence. The masculine was literally designed to build and be in the world and to take the lead and to initiate and to be like the driving force behind the building of civilizations. Meanwhile, the feminine is the undercurrent, like you were speaking to. She's the unseen. She's the energetic and emotional sustenance. She's the nourishment of all of these things. And she's the creator, but she needs the protection and frame of the masculine to do that creation from a surrendered space where she doesn't have to be holding herself, protecting herself, like pushing herself outward in the world she can soften back into that space that the masculine is holding for her so that she can more powerfully birth things into the world and not have to burn herself out in the process. So because a lot of women have been driven to that for lots of different reasons and have a lot of trauma around it, it's hard to even feel and touch that place for some of those women of desire and yearning and pain and grief and anger and trauma that lies beyond those belief systems, because it's almost like they've never, they've never known another way. And so it's so difficult at first when those beliefs are challenged because they've become the safe protective armor for a lot of us that to lay that down requires facing a a lot of confronting things like, wow, I'm actually in deep grief. I feel depleted. I feel tired. I don't want to be working 40 hour work weeks and raising a family by myself and, you know, hardly have time to nourish and tend to myself or whatever it might be. 
And even though there's this deep hunger for masculine support, it's hard to soften and feel vulnerable and safe enough to embody that within ourselves. And then of course, on the other side, the difficulty is like you said, men have been purposely deprogrammed and unplugged from this part of themselves. So are there a lot of men that aren't holding that space in society and in the world in their relationships? Absolutely. And so of course that brings up feelings in us as women. We're like, well, I've had all these men that I couldn't rely on. Why should I surrender to a man's lead when I've only been dropped, abandoned, left at the altar, like whatever it might be, betrayed. You know, we carry, we, we, we both carry trauma towards one another, the masculine towards the feminine, the feminine towards the masculine. But if either party is in the, the like victim role, all it does is it, it severs us, it separates us from one another. And ultimately we, we both need each other, right? The masculine needs us as well, just as much as we need them, but they've been diminished, disrespected, you know, so many different things by us because of our traumas and wounds. So it creates this vicious cycle of men that are, there are really good men out there that want to take the lead and that want to change society and that want to protect and provide, but they also have been robbed of that by culture and by society. There's, you know, there's literal biological warfare that's happening that is, you know, robbing men of healthy testosterone and their connection to their primal masculinity. And then of course, women are feeling the effects of that too on their side. So it's, it's, it's mm. pretty, um, it's tough out there to be honest. Cause it's like, we're, we're, we're working against a lot of forces that are deliberately trying to separate men and women and are the force of what union truly is, is unstoppable. And so you know, really, it's not just an attack, like feminism is one piece of, like, we'll say the later wave stages of feminism is really only one piece of a, of a bigger picture. It's only one, like it was a ve very much the last aspects of it were a co-opted movement that were intentionally designed to create this separation between men and women. And ultimately, it's a war on life and the life-giving powers of healthy union, healthy polarity, which is like really the driving force of a healthy, thriving civil civilization. So it's it's deeper than most people realize. And that's why it's, um, it's tough being on the leading edge of this kind of work because there's constant, you know, feedback and like back backlash from it, I should say. Um, for those of us who are trying to teach these principles, we're teaching them in a society that has literally been brainwashed to view things very differently than from like primordial, the, the standpoint of primordial truth or original design has been greatly distorted in our world. So it's, there's, there's a lot to it. Yeah. Yeah. So wealth like a, a wellspring that you could just dive into around <laughs> all of that yeah. with the biological warfare. So mm -hmm. for you, is there a, a hidden agenda as to why this is all happening? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would say, you know, if, I mean, and again, this is like one of the deepest rabbit holes we could possibly go down, but essentially to, to try and summarize it in a way to make it digestible for those who are maybe even newer to these topics or just kind of exploring them. Um, yeah, there's ultimately a, there is a hidden agenda around artificial intelligence and around creating a society that is very easy to control. And one of the ways you do that is you, um, 
essentially take away the power from the men, the primal masculine, because they are the protectors, you know, true men, like truly masculine men who are connected to their primal masculine core can't be controlled. They can't be, um, they essentially like they see beyond, uh, they see beyond any, any bullshit. Like they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're forces of truth and consciousness and integrity and strength, right? They protect, they are the warriors. They, uh, since the beginning of time, that aspect of men has been leading them to war to protect women and children and, and villages and civilizations and kingdoms, right? Like that is, that's the healthy um, expression of primal masculinity. And so when you rob men of that and you feminize them biologically, spiritually, emotionally, energetically, you first of all create a lack of protection of women and children, they become more vulnerable. And then on top of that, you create a massive glitch in the capacity to build healthy, thriving civilizations, because without strong men, you just simply can't do that. Like women can create, but they can't do that without the protection of the masculine. They're too um, vulnerable and exposed within that, you know, in any sort of feminist belief that's created this this feeling of like well women are no they're so strong they don't need men it's it's only harmed us in the long run mm -hmm. because ultimately we are strong but our strength is in it's our strength is different than the strength of the masculine right like we we need to have our our fragility our sensitivity our feminine gifts protected and preserved and we need the masculine strength for that so ultimately when you both masculinize the women the men also have less to go to war for because they're not being fueled by the nourishment of feminine energy because women are so hardened and depleted. They can't provide that kind of devotion and care to the masculine to help fuel them as they go to war for us. So ultimately beyond the hidden agenda is like, yeah, there's, there's a very deep hidden agenda to um, create a very technocratic artificial intelligence based society that is completely disconnected from God, from spirit, and from just the organic principles of life, from union, from healthy families, from healthy children. You know, it is, it's very, very dark. It's a very dark agenda. And everything that is happening culturally is, is connected to it. Unfortunately, it's kind of it in all corners and crevices when you really start turning all the rocks over. Mm. I loved the part in the book. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's really, it's powerful. And it's a, a very different conversation from the one that we've been hearing for a long time, the programming, the narrative for sure. And I, I loved in the book when he was like, women and men are not equal. We're not equal. We're complementary to each other. We, okay. you know, and that's so powerful because we are so different, you know, there's no way we're as strong as men, you know, right. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I've had like a man just like rub my back and I'm like, you're going to break my bones. Like, you know, there's that physical strength that comes to them. That women just don't have. So we're complementary, like we complement each other. And I think that's so, so, so beautiful. So with the, the masculine in his, you know, truest essence, what does that look like? And then as well, what is the feminine in her truest essence? What is, what does she look like? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. So I would say the masculine in his truest essence, the, one of the ways I teach about the masculine is just, first of all, starting with understanding our 
physical biology, when you look at how a man and a woman are designed physically, it starts to give you insight into their energetic blueprint, their spiritual and emotional blueprint as well. Because ultimately, if we if we're going from the belief system or principle that we are more than just physical beings, that we are soul, spirit, divinity in human bodies, that we have access to the divine and to our soul, but that we're in physical form, then we can start to understand that our physical form is just a reflection of something beyond our physical form. It's a reflection of our energetic, biochemical, spiritual makeup, essentially. And so that would mean that if a man is designed by his biology to physically penetrate a woman, you know, with he has the external capacity to penetrate a woman, then he also has the energetic, emotional, um, just spiritual capacity to, to penetrate as well. It's, it's spiritual, it's energetic, it's emotional. It's like he has the capacity to penetrate the world, to move in the world in a way that is outward, that is commanding of um, respect because it can dominate, it can lead, it can ravish, it can initiate, it can build in the world. It's outward. The feminine is inward, right? Our bodies are built to receive on every level, not just physically, because we're designed to physically receive a man and the masculine. We're also energetically, emotionally, spiritually designed to receive them. And to receive, we have to soften and surrender. We can't receive when we're tight and closed, just like we can't birth a baby when our legs are closed. We have to be opened. We have to be surrendered. We have to be receptive and like yielding and able to um, open up, so to speak. Otherwise, there's no way that anything can be received within us. So that also means we can't create without receiving. We have to receive the masculine first. We have to receive his seed first. We can't create on our own. We have to be in union to create life. And so that has been forgotten in a lot of more like new age, like newer cultural trends, so to speak. There's this loss of this understanding that we're literally designed to, yes, complement one another in, in a very unique way. We need one another. And so a man in his, I would say, purest essence is, first of all, connected to his masculinity. He's not separated from that part of himself. And that can look different man to man. It's There's no one perfect way to like express masculinity, but essentially the masculine is the expression of logos, which is the word of God. It's truth, it's awareness, it's consciousness, it's clarity. It's like, you know, deep penetrating wisdom. So that aspect of the masculine is is clear. He, you know, it's like the intensity of men when they sometimes say something and it's so direct and it's kind of like really confronting. That's a part of the, the natural essence of the masculine is to be uh, that way in a different way. The feminine is meant to be, doesn't mean she's always soft, but she's receptive, right? She can be fierce in her receptivity. She can be fierce in her love, but she's still receptive. So she has a different quality than the masculine. She's more the nourishment, the love force, the eros, the passion, the energetic expression, right? Like if we were to look in nature, we could get really beautiful, like infinite examples of what is the pure essence or expression of, of the feminine? What is the pure essence and expression of the masculine? Well, the masculine is like the sun. It's like this unyielding penetrative force of warmth that is nourishing, but it's also intense, it's penetrating, right? 
the feminine is like the earth. She has this deep, rich nutrient, you know, based soil that's so nourishing, but it's also deep and dark and earthy. And it has to be penetrated by the light or the consciousness, the clarity, the awareness of the masculine, like the earth hungers for the warmth of the sun. Plants can't grow without it. Right. And the feminine is also like the weather or she's like the the rhythms of the earth. She's never um, not changing, right? She has cycles and rhythms, just like the cycles of seasons, so to speak. She's like the ocean just as much as she's like the trees and the, ro the rocks, so to speak. Like she's very variable. Um, so there's all these different examples we could look at in nature or even water flowing over rocks. You have the feminine principle as the, the water because we're fluid as women, we're meant to be fluid and rhythmic and again, like yielding and surrendered and like in a constant state of, of moving from a deeper place within ourselves, like moving from, we're not built again to be this, I guess the way I could put it is like in, we're not built to be outward focused. We're built to be more focused on the internal rhythms of our beingness. And so when you see that reflection in nature, you see these cycles and rhythms that are constantly changing and constantly fluid. And they're more mysterious than say the sun, right? The sun is not mysterious. It just is. Mm -hmm. And that's how the masculine is a man in his core essence. He, you know, we could say even a man, a man doesn't have to even be quote unquote awakened, right. To be a conscious man. He can just be incredibly piercingly aware and to carry that signature of truth and consciousness, that is a detriment to, you know, dark forces, so to speak. That is, that's dangerous to evil because it pierces through all of that. It's just like this incredible light of consciousness and clarity that is very purifying. And so when a man is in touch with that in himself, he's more likely to be a, just a powerful force of change on the planet. And it doesn't mean he has to have these particular qualities. I would say that men in their masculine core generally have access to a sense of assertiveness, dominance, ability to initiate, ability to take the lead in various ways. It doesn't mean they don't also have access to feminine energy, but generally speaking, they're more in touch with their biological design, right? They're not trying to be feminine necessarily. They have access to feminine energy. They have access to their heart. They have access to receptivity and surrender, but they also need the feminine for that because we're their deeper access point to that within themselves. And so on the feminine side, I would just say, you know, there's so many different expressions of feminine energy. I'm not, I never teach that like the feminine is just meant to be soft and surrendered all of the time. It's like, well, she can also be like a monsoon, right? If she's like the weather, she can be like the ocean, which the ocean has destroyed villages in the name of love and truth, so to speak, right? Just the forces of nature driven by God, us in our feminine energy. Like if we are meant to embody love, sometimes embodying love looks soft and delicate and gentle and surrendered. And sometimes it looks intense and destructive right? But that part of our nature is always driven by love. It's meant to always be driven by love. So a woman in her refined feminine essence is not always soft, 
but she is always receptive to divine will and divine love. She's always meant to embody love. And again, that can take so many different forms and expressions, but essentially she's, she's in touch with that deeper current of the mysteries that move through her own body and through nature, through the earth, through all of life itself, right? She's in touch with that deeper pulse. She's in touch with her body. She's in touch with her heart. She's not moving from her mind. The masculine's a little bit more like logical consciousness based, so to speak. The feminine is deeply intuitive, deeply non-linear, like very much has access to like the multidimensional realms and spirit and the energetic realms because of our womb and our capacity to literally be vessels or sort of bridges between heaven and earth and life and death. That's kind of our essence and blueprint is, as women. So when a woman is really connected to her pure essence, her pure feminine essence, that's sort of the, that's really more how like the texture of that fabric is. It can be so different woman to woman, but it's definitely like, she's really rooted into the depths of her beingness. She's not um, moving about her life from a mental, heady, logical, rigid place. She's able to drop into the deeper, um, surrender that's required to be in flow and to be in rhythm and to be in touch with the divine and to be a sort of vessel of creation in the world. For the women, you know, Mm -hmm. that might feel really disconnected from their feminine essence. They might be, you know, the, the one that's feeling like she's on the hamster wheel Yeah. yeah, in a masculine world. What are some kind of intro points to start to connect to your feminine essence and to start to de-armor your heart? Yeah, yeah that's a beautiful question. So, um, you know, heart de-armoring is, is a really, that's, I'm glad you use that term because that's a really beautiful, just kind of entry point to just understanding why we struggle to be in touch with our feminine essence. Because if we feel this deep sense of it's not safe to be open, it's not safe to be soft, it's not safe to be surrendered. We don't have the, the motivation, the sort of framework to drop into that level of trust and surrender in our bodies because our bodies are so in hypervigilance and our hearts are so closed, you know, which is natural. Like, why would we want to open our hearts if we feel that our lives are in danger, our hearts are in danger, or that, you know, that it's not safe? If that's present, that that place in the nervous system will not allow a woman really to truly root into her feminine essence because it feels safer to move in a more masculine way to, to protect ourselves. Right. So one of the first things I always um, work with women around is, and again, this is very individual woman to woman based on her history, traumas that she's had, her constitution, like all kinds of different things, um, cultural differences. It's very different um, in different parts of the world as well. Economic set, like there's so many different pieces to it, but essentially is to start with, where those deepest breaches have been to her safety, whether it's been her childhood and her relationship to her father or sexual abuse or sexual trauma or a strong disconnection in her relationship to the divine. Because if we don't have connection to something beyond 
the physical world, it's going to be incredibly difficult to feel safe enough to surrender because the world is a crazy, intense place and it's getting crazier by the day. And so seeking safety in the world is never sustainable because literally between climate changes that are happening, spiritual warfare, like just mat, you know, pandemics, things that are happening around the world. It's like, we can see there are constant factors to, to look at and say, it's not safe to surrender. It's not safe to let go. It's not safe to be open. And so I always bring women back to their personal relationship to God and the divine, whatever that looks like for them, right? This isn't like a a religious thing or anything like that. It's just like, what is your, your direct relationship to God, to the divine, to source? What does that look like for you? And is that, is that in place? Is that in wholeness? Has that been severed? Has there been religious trauma or any other kind of trauma, spiritual trauma, spiritual abuse that has led you to sever that connection to the divine? Because when we don't have that, we will be ephemerally looking for safety in a world that just will never provide it. And we'll look for it in our relationships as well. But the reality is that no matter how amazing of a partner or a man you might attract, he's still going to be imperfect and flawed. And he's still going to do things that might break your trust or trigger you or bring up old wounds. So if we don't have a deeper reference point for our safety, there's no capacity to access our feminine essence in a sustainable, deeply rooted, like pure way, right? It's like, we can't self-source. So then we're seeking constant things to fill us and to create that safety externally instead of like, well, how do I access that in myself internally outside of any man, outside of the world, outside of any circumstances or physical environment? How can I deeply root into that primordial safety within myself. And that often is like a really deep rectification process. That's different woman to woman. That could be, again, like there could be really deep childhood trauma that has blocked her capacity to feel safe. Um, Maybe she feels totally unsafe in her body and she needs to do some deeper embodiment based work, trauma release therapies, um, emotional release therapies, getting in touch with her deeper emotions that have been repressed is a big one to, so she can feel safe to feel. Cause if we don't feel safe to feel, we're also not going to want to come into our feminine core and to be in our bodies and to feel our open hearts and to drop into our womb because, oh, wow. Now I have to feel my sexual traumas and sexual abuses. Now I have to feel all of the betrayals against my heart from past lovers that I don't want to have to feel right. So there has to be a container for her to feel safe, to go through whatever grief process, anger release process, whether it's at her father or at God or at the people who have betrayed her in her life, she has to be able to feel safe enough to come into feeling and to come into a deep state of presence and allowance of those aspects of her nature, those aspects of her story, her history that are blocking her capacity to feel safe deeply rooted within herself, in her heart, in her body, in her womb, right? In, in communion with life and God and other people, we have to have a foundation that feels sturdy enough to then provide again, that if we're looking at like these metaphors, like a container or a frame that's holding her so that she can soften and surrender and open. And really it's, it's accessible for all women, but it does require this capacity to face uncomfortable things and to feel hard feelings, you know, to feel grief, to feel rage, to 
um, face wounds that often we don't want to have to face, but the reward on the other side is, is beyond anything that words can really express. There's like a homecoming process that women go through when they start to find tools that support them to create that kind of internal embodied or primordial safety, so to speak. So there's lots of different pieces to it. And again, it's kind of like individual depending on the woman, but a lot of times I will just start women with, okay, well, what is your relationship to being in your body? What is your relationship to feeling your emotions and really being present with your feelings, your heart and what's going on in your heart. And then on a soul spiritual level, what is your relationship to God? Do you feel safe in your connection to the divine? Do you feel like you can access that? Or is there, again, is there like a void there? Is there a disconnect? Is there a distrust of God? Is there a rage towards God? Do you feel abandoned by the divine because you were abandoned by your father? Like these are the kinds of things that have to be excavated mm -hmm. to create the kind of embodied safety that allows women to soften and surrender. I love that. The homecoming, it feels like that reclamation where you're reclaiming that feminine essence, but- yes with all of it, there's usually a, a descent and a going into the underworld or the, the subconscious, the inner realms to what is keeping you really separate from that. And like literally that armor on the heart. And it's like the cracks, the cracks come mm -hmm. for a reason to start to open yourself into those spaces. And, and yeah, I, I just think it's so necessary to have people to kind of go into those spaces Absolutely. with us. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of why I'm, I'm so passionate about, you know, holding these deeper containers and holding deeper mentorship, um, spaces for women, because it really does help to have support and to have a safe space to be seen and witnessed on every level. Because when we start to feel that again, it creates this reference point that, permeates into all areas of our life, right? Especially if we've never felt that before. It's like to be held in a space where we can truly receive and we can truly be seen and we can be kind of guided or, or even just witnessed on a deep level with total presence and non-judgment as we descend and we go through our process in the underworld, but we, we don't, we're not allowed to necessarily get stuck down there, right? We're held accountable and supported, but we also are supported to rise back out of that into the reclamation, the homecoming or the redemption on the other side, because mm. I think it can also be challenging if we, this is why a lot of people avoid going into these places in themselves. It's like, well, what if I descend into the underworld and I don't ever come out and I get lost in the pain or in the trauma or you know, I, I, it's too much for me to handle. And this is where it's so important to have support and to have mm. safe places to do this process work, because it's, it's not meant to be like, you just go into this deep dive into yourself and just constantly traverse the underworld and, and turn over every rock and, you know, get stuck in this cycle of suffering and pain. It's not, it's not about that at all. And that's why it's really helpful to have deep support because then um, we're just more likely to, I, you know, feel safe enough to be totally exposed, but to also be lovingly guided back home when the time comes to have the light of guidance be there to sort of remind us like, okay, maybe you've stayed down in the underworld too long, or, or maybe this part over here is the place that really needs to have the loving light shed on it to 
bring things full circle, right? It's like, I, I know I wouldn't be where I was in my life without incredible, impeccable mentors that have held me in the darkest of spaces inside of myself and just, you know, loved me through to the other side, but also held that loving mirror and held a really firm container for me to go through all of that. Because um, again, it's just like, we we're not meant to do this work alone. Like, even though it's within ourselves, we're not necessarily meant to do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. And it, when we're in those spaces, having that loving container is so, so important. And there's also a process to it. I was in the underworld recently for over eight months. And my, my mentor was just like, you know, a leaf doesn't just fall or like a dead rose doesn't just fall to the earth and vanish. There's a decaying process that wants to happen. Just like there's a, a process that has to happen with our grief and you know, I think what really happened for me in that process was my, my heart was cracked open and a wellspring of flood just came up of all the hurts from the masculine, you know, and it it was so beautiful, but it it was painful. But on the other side, it was like, that was what had to happen. But I was held in all of that, you know, and um, with people that could help me process it and be with it and sit with it and allow it to do what it, what it needed to do, as opposed to just armor back up and numb out and soldier on. So beautiful. It's a, a gift. Yeah. With that, um, the year of union. So I know that's on your, your Instagram and I've heard that come up a lot yeah. around 2022. Um, can you speak to the, the year of union? And, and I know for myself, I feel like that is happening on such a potent level because, you know, a king and queen together rising is a powerful force on this planet. And, and we need that, like, there's no doubt that we need that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, essentially what sort of started that, <laughs> that phrase for me was last year when I was going through my process and when I kind of came out the other side and like rose from the ashes, so to speak, um, I was receiving a lot of clear guidance from the divine, a lot of visions, a lot of dreams, a lot of just things dropping into my awareness psychically um, all of the time that 2022 is going to be a huge year for union, for, we could say sacred union, divine union, for sort of like the the return of men and women to one another. And um, definitely like the the homecoming of like, we could say the, the expression of the masculine that is the king archetype and then the expression of the the refined feminine which is the queen archetype the sort of rebuilding of those archetypes so that they can from 2022 onward not that it will just be this year it will also be the next few years um can those kings and queens or men and women who are here to serve the shift in consciousness that is happening in the building of a new world can, can find one another again, having done the healing work, the prep work necessary, and can build a new world based off of these thriving unions, which ultimately like thriving unions will create thriving families and thriving society and thriving civilizations. Like we have to start with the basic building blocks of men and women that have been prepared for that level of work that have been prepared to withstand spiritual union together through their union bond, through their offerings to one another, and then their co-created offerings to the world from that space. So I was getting so many downloads around it. And then I was hearing other people talk about it and other people getting downloads about it. And so I just started tracking this thread and 
at the beginning of the year, I had a very powerful post come through me that I was extremely resistant to post. And it was, you know, there was just so much resistance that came up around it and it wound up being my most popular post. I think it, I, I'm not sure it got thousands and thousands of likes. I think it may be like 8,000 or something like that, which I didn't even, I think when I wrote it, I had less followers than I had now. So, um, I wrote that post and essentially it was saying like 2022 is the year for union and for basically like spiritual warriors coming into union. And it was just all about union, like truly landing on our planet. And I mean, it just took off because people everywhere were resonating with that and were feeling the vibe of that and were feeling that awakened within themselves in their own ways. And I just had people come out of the woodwork saying, I just met my person. I just met my partner. And, you know, it's like everything that I thought was never possible. I mean, so many people were coming to me and sending me messages Mm -hmm. and saying, well, just last month or just last week, you know, I met my partner and this is like my person. And I know this is someone that is these qualities you're speaking to in this post. It was a pretty intense, deep post that was kind of speaking to the qualities of these unions that I was shown would be coming into fruition from 2022 onward. And again, all these people coming out of the woodwork, just saying, this has been my exact experience. So that was kind of what I built this, this concept, the year of union on. And I do believe that it's not just this year. It's like the seeds have been planted and are really being watered. And there are a lot of people that have been coming into union this year, but I believe that will continue. That wave will continue into 2023 and 2024. I think that there are a lot of, of men and women that are doing the deep work this year that is literally setting the energetic spiritual foundation for union with their counterpart to to come to fruition with you know a true soulmate that has also done the work to be able to uphold this level of consciousness that we're speaking to like king or queen energy that's mm-hmm. a refined energy that requires a, a forging in the fires of of God's will. And that's a different level of union. It's a union that is not driven by material pursuits alone. It's, it's driven by what lies beyond the seeing eye. It's driven by fighting back against the forces that are, are trying to destroy, you know, our planet in many different ways and um, building new ways of being through the creative force field that gets created in these types of unions. Hmm. Beautiful. Do you have any take on twin flames? <laughs> well, so here's, here's what I'll say about that. Um, I do. And it's kind of, it's, this is a fun topic because um, there's just so many theories on it and such. And, you know, I went through my, my phase where I kind of would like roll my eyes at that term, like, oh yeah, it's such a new age term. But the reality is I've experienced a relationship that fits that description to a T and it was one of the most powerful spiritual awakenings and also the most devastating experiences of my life. Um, It broke me open, you know, went through my Saturn return in relationship to a man who I would say had all of these qualities of like a, a soul twin, so to speak, like a mirror, but it was devastatingly, um, it, it was, It was like a direct kind of um, initiation through my own underworld and his for him as well. I mean, it was, you know, very, very powerful, very 
spiritually co-creative. I mean, it literally opened all of my spiritual gifts that during the time that I met him and started um, seeing him back. And I met, I, I, we actually started dating 2012, 12, 12, 12 was mm-hmm. our official, like when we started being in relationship officially together. And it, it was a huge process for me of having to confront all these aspects of my own shadow, my own soul journey, karma. Like it was just so deep and intense and very passionate and powerful and a huge catalyzing force for me. And also on the other side of that, the destruction of that relationship, the ending of that relationship was the even deeper initiation into my current gifts, my current work in the world, Um, me finding my way onto this path and finding the right tools and teachings and mentors to lead me to where I am now all came forth through that relationship and its ending. And so I do believe that as souls, we have very specific soul contracts that there are types of soul contracts that are different. Um, uh, I feel like there are certain soul contracts that are, we could say, um, not so much twin flame or soul twin relationships that are more just soulmate relationships that are teachers on our path that we have really powerful soul bonds to, but are not as chaotic and intense, or they, they don't have the, the capacity to become as intense and chaotic and challenging as twin flame or soul twin relationships are. I know that some, we could, whatever we want to call them, soul twins or twin flames. I know that there are people that successfully make those relationships work, but they have done an incredible amount of work on themselves and they are willing to withstand the fires of the mirror of that relationship. And both souls have to be kind of on board with that. And so a lot of times the force of it is too intense for it to come to fruition in the physical plane and they're almost repelled apart or something destructive happens or there's an inversion because the polarity is just, it's just too intense and too strong. So I believe that there are other soulmate relationships that are less, there might still be karma associated with them, but they're more dharmic than karmic. They're more leading us towards our higher destiny and leading us towards, you know, um, a higher expression of our soul in the world. They're more, um, generative than like destructive, like we're going to take you into the underworld and tear you apart. They might still challenge and bring up wounds and pains to be processed and alchemized, but it's a different process. I feel in sort of like soul flame or soulmate relationships that aren't twin flame or soul twin. I feel like there are these aspects of our soul that are mirrors or teachers to us in a softer way that are more sustainable long-term relationships than, you know, twin flame or soul twin relationships. So that's, that's been my experience because I've, I've met both versions of that. I, I had sort of more of a twin flame soul twin relationship that ultimately most difficult lessons of my life. I mean, all of the, the, experiences I've had being brought to my knees and the deepest possible pain and grief came through that relationship. It took me years and years of healing the trauma of it to get to where I am now. You know, it was not a quick process, but I've also experienced the other version of that, like soulmate relationship that is just the most like nourishing, generative, easeful, like just, you know, everything aligned, faded type of relationship that feels much more like, oh, this is more directing me towards my higher destiny in a way that doesn't feel so um, (laughs) just like, you know, um, excruciating, so to speak, intense. Yeah. Yeah. Tumultuous, all of it, like the deepest initiation. Mm -hmm. 
Can yeah, it's like I feel like the, the twin flame is almost like a can be such a um, initiation through like dark night of the soul type mm-hmm. experiences. And some again, like some of those relationships can withstand that um, and can be brought through to fruition. But from my experience, I believe many of many twin flames spend many, many incarnations trying to consummate that. And it's not always successful because of the incredible force that exists there. And I believe that that same kind of powerful force, but in a different quality can exist between soulmates that are meant to like build um, new ways of being in the world. I feel like those are the types of unions that will be coming together and that have been coming together, but it requires again, a, a different sort of courage than say, okay, I'm willing to be like drugged through the underworld through like the dark night of the soul aspect of my own initiations. Like, I feel like these other relationships and unions are still very driven from the level of the soul, but it's, it's like both of them, it's just a softer landing in, in some ways. Like it's, it's more, they both have already gone through enough of their own refinement. Perhaps they both have experienced already their own twin flame process or something similar, right? Some other intense dark night of the soul process. And they've come out the other side refined and more aligned already to their sort of higher nature. And that, you know, from that space, there's more receptivity for a soul flame or a soulmate that has also done the work on themselves. And it can be this more easeful, nourishing journey at that point. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. What is the what is the vision that you hold for the, you know, quote unquote, new earth or the like, you know, we can see the world going in really two ways right now, or that's what it feels like for me. Like, mm-hmm. I literally feel like it's like yeah. the witches returning to the woods or, you know, the kind of the healers returning to the the woods, returning to nature. And then there's this artificial intelligence that is the other, the other path. And so what, it, what is the vision that you hold for the world? Ooh, this is a big question. Um, the vision that I hold for the world is that through more and more beings really surrendering to the purification and evolution of consciousness that is happening through doing the necessary work within themselves around that versus always just being outward focused, but like going through their own necessary hero's journey so that they can naturally through their essence have a greater impact on the world in whatever way is individual to their higher destiny because they're so in alignment with the divine, those beings will all naturally become these powerful effortless vessels for new ways of being and living to be really rooted on our planet. And and then again, within that, you have both men doing that work, women doing that work and coming together to create these really powerful, healthy, polarized relationships that are life-giving and that are not only birthing healthy families into the world away from the system, but are also birthing new ways of community building and, you know, thriving in the world, new systems, new functioning mechanisms, like uh, just almost like a complete renewal, so to speak. You know, we've heard these, these, um, myths and tales and stories about a golden age, a golden era, right? And like, what is, what is, what is that referred to? It refers to the gold of the alchemical process of 
turning lead into gold, transmuting density and darkness into the light of consciousness and love and divinity. And really like that requires us all to do that process within ourselves and to transmute density and darkness and shadow, not to project it outward and to only focus on it in the world, but to understand that those forces in the world are a mirror to what exists within all things. It's the, the most ancient battle that has ever existed between good and evil, right? And it exists within each one of us. So if we're doing that work within ourselves, we can then meet one another from this space of having gone through our own alchemical sort of refinement process to align to divine will, to leave behind karmic destiny, to align to divine destiny, which is again, individual process for, for every soul. But in that we create this like really fruitful, fertile soil for, you know, planting the seeds of a true union, which then when you bring that union together, and I see these unions that I speak about as being the foundation of, we could say the new earth or a golden era, because when those unions are formed in that kind of soil, they again, because of the power of polarity being the driving force of all of creation, you have these two opposing complementary opposite poles that come together and join forces and merge. And through that, they create life right? And life might not just be children. It might be projects. It might be businesses. It might be new systems in the world. It might be legacies and kingdoms, right? Like we, all of that gets built through on the basic foundational level, the soil of union, of divine union, of sacred union. So when we have these unions that are rooted in the divine, rooted in God, and they're devoted and committed to that, in each individual, and then they come together and together in that merging force, they are also committed and devoted to that. The creations that come through those unions are the creations that will save this planet and the world. Mm -hmm. If enough of them are formed and enough people are driven into that level of devotion, and I feel like it is happening, right? It's, it's happening, it's accelerating. And then of course you also have the pushback from the other side as that's happening. So it's, 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 it's intense out there, but I see that being the foundation for a world that it's almost like, it's almost so beautiful that I can't even put words to it because we've never experienced it or we have, but it's so far back beyond our conscious memory that only our souls remember, you know, living and, and being a part of certain civilizations, which fell sort of like we're moving through the fall of a civilization right now. And what will come on the other side really depends on what we as individual souls and humans choose to do because what we're, we're, we're each doing inside of ourselves massively ripples, right? We're just the micro to the macro. So the work that I do then impacts the women that I hold space for, which then impacts their husbands and partners and their unions and their clients and their families and children, and it ripples in all directions. So it all starts within ourselves, essentially. And I really see the, the, we could say new earth or the, the new, the golden era that is meant to be or is being birthed coming from, again, the foundation of very powerful sacred unions mm -hmm. and the families and the legacies and the kingdoms and the creations that come from those unions will be very different quality and texture to the systems and um, the matrixes of our, our current kind of falling world, so to speak. Mm. Powerful, very powerful. 
this question wants to come through and I'm not sure if I'm going to ask it in a way that makes sense. I, I feel like you'll get okay. me, but so there's, <laughs> there's like pair bonding for true, like powerful union, yeah. right? Yes. And there's a whole bunch of distortions right. that keep us from pair bonding. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to the distortions? Yeah, this is a really big one. This is, um, this is a very personal one for me as to something I've just very recently gone through. And again, just a mirror to what is happening in the collective. Cause I also have been hearing from a lot of other women <clears throat> that they've been experiencing similar, um, similar things to something I just navigated in my own personal process. And so there are a lot, first of all, I'll just say generally before I get to some of the specifics that, um, there are lots and lots and lots of distortions that block pair bonding, which is really unfortunate because it's, it's so powerful to have a truly healthy pair bonding, you know, based union. It's, it's very, very, it's so secure that both parties are able to thrive and flourish within that security system of like, it's like they create their own little world together. They're their own microcosm within the union, right? Like truly thriving couples have that. But to have that kind of healthy pair bonding, you have to have security. And this is challenging because um, <clears throat> we could say on a biological, primal, carnal base level, the masculine is designed to spread his seed. He's literally designed to spread his seed far and wide. The feminine is designed very differently. Like we're designed to receive the seed of one man and to create life from that, to, to birth his children into the world. And um, that kind of is a metaphor for lots of other things too. Like we are built to hormonally bond and bond emotionally on every level, spiritually to the man that we're receiving. We're built to energetically receive him, spiritually receive him, on every level when he penetrates us. So if a man is driven by this baseline, carnal, primal, biological urge to spread his seed, but he's not connected those lower impulses to something higher in his connection to the divine, to God, to his higher consciousness, to again, like a higher spiritual or moral discipline or compass, then this will look like lots of things. It will look like unfaithfulness. It will look like tendency towards polyamory. It will look like um, not honoring the sacredness of sex and what it actually is on a spiritual level, which then is devastating to the feminine who on her deepest core level desires deep devotion and loyalty from the man who she's choosing to not only carry the life for, but take in and receive on every single level, like every single level, right? It's why we want a sense of security emotionally with a man when we are bonding with him sexually, we're literally merging with him spiritually. And so there are a lot of things that distract men away from their capacity towards that higher um, spiritual moral discipline, so to speak, like pornography is a big one. That is a huge distortion that is a huge addiction for a lot of men. And it seems very benign, like, oh, this is just a bad habit, but it's actually way more than that. And it has been, again, something that's been intentionally designed to rob men of their life force and to sort of unplug them from certain aspects of their own consciousness and to become sort of a driving force of um, lust, addictive behaviors, um, lack of discipline, lack of motivation, because again, when you, when you 
can control a man's seed and his sexual urges, you can control all of him essentially. Mm -hmm. Because again, if he's not connected to something higher or beyond that, then he's going to be driven by those lower, those lower urges. And again, there's nothing wrong with primality or, or that carnal aspect, but it's meant to be in union and merged with the higher centers as well, with higher consciousness, with the divine. And so there are lots of other things that contribute to this massive sort of obstruction to pair bonding. Like there's a huge divorce rate, right? There's, there's this, um, a huge, like multiple generations of fatherless children or children of separated households that don't have both a healthy, strong mother and a healthy, strong father, which is also driven by the positive sex movement and like mm. sexual empowerment and the sexual empowerment of women having multiple partners in the casual sex culture is a big part of this because when we create a casual environment around sex and we give free porn to men, and we lead women to believe that it's okay for them to that it's not there are we'll just say that there are no consequences to them having lots and lots and lots of sexual partners and to just giving themselves away to men sexually then you also have a lot of children that are born out of wedlock that are born without healthy mothers and fathers to tend to them they might just have a mother just have a father or whatever it might be then those children grow up with a lot of trauma and that impacts their capacity to form healthy relationships and healthy pair bonding. So it's this massive like ripple effect where you can see the connections of casual sex culture, fatherlessness, addiction, um, substance abuse, pornography, like all these different pieces mm. that have really hindered our capacity to pair bond. Because also if we've had a lot of casual sex with lots of partners, over time that starts to wear down our ability to pair bond with one partner because it's almost like our senses have been dulled and we've already given pieces of ourselves to lots of other people and then it's harder to experience that deep soul level merging with one person at that point because it's again it's like our our whole system has been desensitized and numbed out and dulled by all these different factors right and including and especially treating sex as something that is just this pleasure-based activity. I mean, of course, it's wonderful to experience pleasure, but sex is always so much more than that. And mm -hmm. as soon as we create a culture that does not value that and that just throws, tosses that around, you have all kinds of, of issues that come from that. And it, one of the biggest ones is that it, it does destroy our ability to pair bond with one partner because we want variety, we want texture, we want you know, for men, they want um, the stimulation that they get through porn. They want to feel that with their partner. And if they don't, they won't open their hearts to her and truly bond and merge with her in a way that allows them to go deeper with that particular partner. They're wanting to go wide and spread their seed to other women. And for women, it impacts us as well in a different but similar way. It's almost like, well, if I've emotionally, spiritually merged with all these men I've sexually merged with, now, when I truly have a partner worthy of pair bonding with, I have all of this trauma mm -hmm. and inability to open sexually to him and an inability to surrender to him and inability to trust him because I've been, you know, like I've been kind of ravaged as a woman, so to speak. And like my, my resources have been used and abused by all these men. So now I'm not trusting a man who is right in front of me, who's deeply trustable. So I'm, I'm looking for the, the next 
bad boy or stimulating man to kind of soothe my traumas instead of like a secure, stable, healthy, safe relationship foundation with a man who can actually provide um, a deeper security for me. I might just, my receptors might be so numbed and dulled at this point that I can't even experience that with a man, right? So I kind of just am on this cycle of like failed relationships and, or divorce or all these different things, right? Yeah. So it's, there's, it's a very pervasive issue that kind of has lots of different threads to it, but they're all very, very intrinsically connected to the same distortions. Mm. Does birth control play into that? I was watching a documentary. Absolutely. What was yeah. it called? The business of birth yeah. control. Yes. And it, it spoke about like how a woman on birth control will not go for an alpha male like the pheromones yeah yeah, is different than what she would go for off of birth control birth control also something that is a lesser known fact about it is that birth control will also sever a woman's spiritual connection to her own womb so she'll she'll start to lose touch with the spiritual capacities that develop through her connection to her own womb she'll start to disconnect from knowing that her womb is spiritual it's not just physical and she'll literally become numb to the the higher senses that can be really accessed through our womb spaces women it's literally like our portal to the divine so birth control is actually partially designed to disconnect us biologically and chemically from that capacity to connect in that way through our womb space and to be really connected to our feminine core, so to speak, our feminine instincts. And that includes the instinct of which men are healthy for us to pair bond with Mm -hmm. because our womb actually will direct and guide us as women. If we're connected to her on a higher spiritual level, she will intrinsically really reveal to us which men are in alignment for us or not for pair bonding. She will literally, literally reject men that are not a good match for us. But if she's been numbed and dulled and suppressed and she's been on birth control, so she's lost her rhythmic connection to nature, she won't, her, those sort of instinctual, intuitive, oracular capacities of the womb literally get shut off. Mm. Wow. It's just so interesting. It was so eye-opening. That's so eye-opening what you've just shared Mm -hmm. there as well in that documentary of, you know, it's just what we're, we're supposed to do. You just right. go on birth control, you, you know? So yeah. Right. Yeah. Just the, the distortions and inversions of society at this time, which are really coming to the light and people are really seeing yes. clearly what has been going on. Yes, absolutely. For a long time. I, see that. I see that happening. It's very encouraging. It is. It, it's that hope and faith and trust and like, yeah the, the light, so to speak, will win, you know, the, the true unions will come back and that new earth that we're all holding the vision for will be birthed in it. And, um, yeah, it's encouraging with polarity. Do you want to speak to polarity tools and how we invoke the polarities within? Yeah. So do you mean like specifically, um, is there a specific, kind of are you looking for like methodology or just general kind of understanding of polarity is there like actual methods that women can use to like invoke the polarity with her man like to bring him mm-hmm. into his like masculine yeah. core yeah definitely um so essentially like on the most simple level the more a woman is genuinely rooted in her feminine core 
um, the more she will ignite the masculine core in a man, because it's almost like that's just how we were designed. It's like, the, it's a similar, the other direction. If a man is really in his masculine core and say a woman had been dating more feminized men, but then she comes into contact with a more masculine man who's rooted in his masculine core, it will naturally invoke her desire to surrender, her desire to be in her feminine, because we're designed to kind of cat, like, I won't say catalyze, I'll say more just ignite that and awaken that within each other when we're rooted in our primary essence and in our core. So um, the first thing I always tell women is that it's never about finding a strategy or a like control method or tool to invoke something in your man, because that is naturally depolarizing. It's like trying to make him something he's not. It's trying to force something which takes you out of your feminine and it actually can repel men, so to speak. So the more a woman is naturally rooted into her feminine core and her feminine polarity, she can literally go around men who are maybe even like afraid of that in themselves or have suppressed that in themselves. And it will invoke that masculinity or that primal masculine core in him. So that's the number one kind of foundational thing. It's like, well, focus on for a woman cultivating your feminine pole, your feminine core, and what will support you in that first and foremost, because then naturally your essence the magnetism of your essence, the radiance of that embodiment will literally emanate from you. And it will literally invoke and invite the masculine to step more into his power and to come more into his expression of masculinity. It will invoke his king consciousness. Like all of that comes not through forcing um, or controlling the masculine at all, but it actually comes through us dropping into the receptivity within our feminine core, within our capacity to be in that space of embodied surrender and to move from an open heart, to be in the magnetism of our open womb, to express and emote from that space naturally invites out the polarity, the masculine, so to speak. And so that is always kind of the foundational piece that I teach, even though there are like so many really fun tools and techniques that I play with within it. Um, you know, another big one that I teach that's kind of foundational is that anytime we are disrespecting the masculine and victimizing ourselves and kind of um, fearing or diminishing his primal power, including his assertiveness, his directness, his um, warrior aspect. Anytime we are um, sort of making ourselves the victim to that, instead of practicing receiving him in those expressions of his masculinity, we're essentially emasculating him, even if it's unconsciously we're sort of taking him away from that safe expression of his masculine power. So when we actually more exalt the parts of the masculine that can trigger us the most, and that is part of the practice and the process, because that's not easy in the beginning, but like we're actually respecting it, we're admiring it, we're appreciating it, we're receiving it as women, it naturally invites out more of the same. And it, it invites men to rise because it's almost like, the teaching that I speak to around this is as we descend, the masculine rises. And the descent doesn't mean we're not in our power as women. It doesn't mean we bow down, so to speak, but it means we descend down into our body, our hearts and our wombs, out of our heads, out of our stories, out of these controlling mechanisms that are trying to keep ourselves safe and playing out the validation of our traumas. And we descend into something deeper, which is the embodiment of love, the embodiment of our feminine energy, our feminine magnetism, the actual felt expression of that in the world. 
And when we're descended into that and we're moving from that rooted space within our feminine core, it literally invokes the polarity of the masculine to rise, not only in our partners, but in the world. And that's why it's starting to happen more strongly is because more men and women are both doing their ends of that, that work. And it's starting to create this force of energy that's, you know, moving and catalyzing things on our planet. So essentially, like, it's always about understanding it, I like thinking of polarity as like a, a scale, so to speak. If you were to just simplify it, you have two ends of a scale. If one end of the scale rises, the other end doesn't also rise. You have one goes up, the other goes down, right? So if we want the masculine polarity to rise into this higher consciousness of the king aspect and to lead and to protect and to provide from that space, as women, we can't then try to rise and compete with him and be above him. And like, well, I can do all these things that you are doing. We actually have to descend into this deeper space, which is easier said than done sometimes of receptivity and trust of him, you know, trusting his lead, trusting that even when he has his flaws and he, you know, falls down, we don't um, essentially diminish him for that or say, well, you're not you're not good enough. I don't trust you. I'm going to withhold my love from you. Instead, we honor him. We honor the consciousness that he is a vessel for or a messenger for, even when he's not perfect in the expression of that. We um, really reflect those things to him. We get to embody love and reflect to him. Yeah, sometimes the space uh, spaces in ways that he's out of alignment, but other, other times, and most importantly, reflect to him his greatness and the aspects of him that are rising, the aspects of him that are worthy of devotion and trust, the more we actually in, like accentuate those in our appreciation and acceptance and re receptivity of them, the more he also feels the encouragement and inspiration and motivation to rise into that because the masculine was built to go to war for us, but we have to inspire that instinct in him. He needs an inspiring force to bring that out in him. And that doesn't come through the nagging and controlling and complaining of women, right? It doesn't come through us dragging him down and saying, these are all the things you're not doing right. These are all the ways that you are um, not man enough, right? That's the opposite that chops off his balls. We want to actually really create this powerful space that is, um, it's like creating the, the nutritious soil for, for the growth process to happen within it's tending to the inner world. It's tending to the emotional, um, emotional, energetic, sensual aspect of the fabric of like polarity that men aren't necessarily as plugged into as we are as women, right? Because they're more designed to build and to protect and to provide and to do all these things. And so we're more meant to support and nourish all of that from the inside out. And we can't be doing that. We can't support them in their building of these legacies and kingdoms and communities and protection of us if we're constantly dragging them through the mud and saying, well, these are all the ways that, you know, you're not showing up for me. It's like, well, that is a really quick way to depolarize a relationship with a masculine man. And it's a, a quick way to um, sort of contribute to emasculation and um, 
you know, just adding to the discouragement that men have already been subject to for many, many, you know, just many decades now for a long time, if not longer. So it's, there's a lot of really like fun advanced techniques too that I teach, but there are just these kind of basic building blocks that are really helpful for women that are still kind of new to this journey is just understanding these fundamental pieces can already shift how they show up in relationship to the masculine. Because if they, and it goes both both ways as well, if men can be aware of this, if they can be aware that their strengths and their capacity to um, hold a frame for the feminine, to protect and provide for her and support her and to be sort of the, the, the rock for her waters to crash against that naturally provides this deeply healing space for her to drop deeper into her feminine core, which then also benefits him and feeds back into him. So it's like this constantly generative loop of like um, mutual devotion and nourishment, so to speak. It's, it's like an infinity loop. It's constantly one is feeding back into the other. And when both men and women have this understanding, they're able to create a more polarized relationship because they're not, again, competing. They're not fighting against their natural design. They're actually um, just dropping into what is most natural and easeful within their own core. And of course, there can be like traumas that block that or challenges with that or whatever it might be. But when that is happening within a relationship, there's just such a natural flow because those complementary opposites were built to be merged together and to support one another, not to work at odds, right? So it's almost like you're just taking away all the excess effort at that point, all of the excess, like, like women overdoing, over trying, trying to get a man, trying to do all the techniques, all of the strategies is actually taking her further away from her natural you know, design and, and the natural expression of that polarity in a relationship is not through her excessive doing, right? It's, it's through something hmm. much more effortless and easeful, but it might not feel effortless to the aspects of her trauma that have taught her to show up differently in the world or with men, right? Like I have to armor and protect myself. Well, that's, that's natural, but the more armored and protected we are as women, the harder it is to have a polarized relationship with a man because he needs a soft receptive space to penetrate into. He needs to be received. Mm -hmm. And we can't receive men when we are tight and closed and contracted and rigid and pushing them away, which oftentimes we might not even know the ways we're doing that and sort of suppressing him unconsciously, suppressing his masculine polarity. Mm. Thank you. Do you want to speak to tousling? I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> on your Insta, like, so and then outlander was in it and i mean oh I right outlander um yeah <laughs> early on outlander i haven't been watching the latest season because i got bored but anyway <laughs> just that tousling yes yeah so this is fun i'm glad you you found that highlight um because every time i post about uh tussling people get so excited and they like want me to write more about it and um, I haven't yet written a post about it, but maybe I will one day. So yeah, essentially the fun, well, I guess what I'll say first, just to kind of explain it on a baseline level, um, tussling is a polarity tool that 
can be used to transmute and alchemize energy between two partners because the one of the just helpful basic foundational truths to understand about polarity is that when you have two complementary opposite forces that come together there's a friction to that there is a spark right that's what creates passion that's why polarized relationships are passionate relationships because if you have two of the same substances with the same charge it doesn't create friction but if you have two opposite like you have elect you know electricity and magnetism you have these two opposite poles they come together it literally creates a spark of energy which is the spark of life and that's what creates passion so again a non-polarized relationship might be really safe it might feel really like like a deep friendship, so to speak, but it's not going to have the spark of passion if it doesn't have polarity. It might feel like, you know, just like, oh, this is very, yeah, we're, we're very stable. We're very calm together, but it might be lacking in that deep, you know, charged, like sexual intimacy, passion, connection on that level of chemistry. Because again, it's, it's literally like you thinking about the chemistry, like a science project to create the spark, you have to have, there has to be a reaction. So the challenge with, with polarity and, the funneling of that charge is that um, if it's misdirected or there's an imbalance somewhere or there isn't proper containment and harnessing of the charge of that energy, then it can actually be destructive. It can actually create conflict. So sometimes what you'll see in couples that are super polarized, if they don't have proper tools and a, a proper container to harness and kind of channel that that spark of, of passion, if they don't have healthy outlets for that passion, or if again, there's some kind of like just imbalance or distortion somewhere and they're not able to consummate the passion in a, in a contained way, then you have a lot of fighting. You'll have couples that are constantly going at it and going to war with each other, right? And like, that can be lots of different things, but sometimes it literally is just an inability to transmute the passion and the friction that gets generated from polarity. So to understand tussling is to understand that polarity generates passion, but it also generates friction. And so if we don't know how to work with friction in the fabric of a relationship and we, you know, contract against it and we resist it, we're afraid of it, then again, we're, or, or the other part of this is um, maybe we're not afraid of it or resistant to it, but maybe we just haven't cultivated the capacity to be present to that charge or sensation in our bodies and hearts. And so we shut down. And so either way, whether someone is shutting down or resisting, they're closing down the, the harnessing and the channeling of that friction of energy, and it can become then conflict explosive, right? So instead of it being harnessed, it becomes this big explosion of energy because it doesn't have anywhere to go, right? So this is where I use this very fun term that's called, so sometimes what will happen, say a woman is, has all this energy built up in her, like all of this passion and sexual energy and like she wants to be penetrated by a man but she hasn't been properly penetrated in a while and as women we desire and, and yearn for it all of the time because it's just our design so say there's this buildup of energy and she hasn't had a way to harness and channel that what it will often manifest as in women as what i call a desire to fight or fuck 
So it's mm-hmm. like this charge in her that's like, I need to do something with this energy. So I either I'm going to fight someone or I'm going to fuck someone. So it's like this like buildup of energy, so to speak, almost like pent up energy, if we were to simplify it. And if she's in a polarized union with a man, a fun way to work with that energy outside of just like, okay, well, yeah, he could take her, throw her up against the wall, ravage her, right? Like there's, there's, or they could get into a fight. Maybe they might get into a conflict because she's trying to, to channel that energy somehow, or, or they as a couple are trying to channel that friction or that passion between the polarity together without tools of just understanding transmutation and alchemy again it's like well something that isn't a problem becomes a problem because now you have a couple who has constant conflict in their relationship is at risk because they're like well we're fighting all the time and i don't know what to do about it it's like well this isn't it doesn't have to be a problem if you know how to work with and flow with the energy in the moment you can actually make art with that friction. You can make love to that friction. You can dance with it. You can flow with it. You can play with it. You can like literally like have fun with it. But if you're contracted and you're tense and you're freaking out or you're closed, you can't do that. It just becomes a fight, right? Mm -hmm. So what I tell couples like tussling is a way to actually learn how to dance with the friction in their union of their polarity and to like really like make something generative and life-giving out of it instead of it allowing it to become a destructive force they actually get to like really um deepen their intimacy instead of create separation or or greater divide they they get to harness that friction for the betterment of the union and so tussling is basically where a man learns over time and he gets to practice this with his woman how to handle her (laughs) when she is in that fight or fuck mode, when her energy gets built up and pent up and she's desiring penetration, she's desiring containment because as women, these are two things we strongly desire from the masculine all of the time is containment because we have literally like these oceanic waters, right? We want the riverbanks to hold the ocean or to hold the river. We want the shores to create that reference point of safety for our endlessness and our mystery. So we want the containment of that firm masculine energy. And we also just want to be penetrated because we're so receptive and open in our core. So we're constantly hungering for different forms of penetration or containment from the masculine. Both of those he can provide for us through tussling. So basically if he meets us in that energy of our fight or fuck energy where our feminine waters are swelling and we're like, I don't know what to do with this. There's so much energy and emotion and expression and like, it's pouring out of me and I don't know what to do. And this is where we're like, I need help. I need the masculine. Like I could just pour all over the place, but like, that's not fun because I want a reference point to experience myself and my love and my passion with. So we'll take it to a man, masculine, right? Like help me, like contain me and penetrate me. Now, if a man reacts and he is afraid of our fight or fuck energy and he's like, no, and he pushes it away or he's like conflict avoidant or you know, again, maybe he takes it personally, like, oh, I've done something wrong or, or he rejects us or something like that. That will then mean that that energy doesn't get harnessed and it either becomes explosive and we try and pick a fight or something else might happen. Right. So it might create, like I said, a separation or a, um, a divide between the two people. So if a man can meet us in that and hold space for that charge of like, build up of energy, that fight or fuck energy, 
then he can tussle with us in the moment and he can become playful and curious and dominant instead of kind of getting like rail railed over by this energy. It's like he drops into his core and he plays with us in it. And he like meets us in that and dances with us in that. So he might, we might come to him in that energy and he might, instead of, you know, getting defensive and closing down, he might pick us up um, throw us over his shoulder, carry us back to the bedroom, throw us on the bed and like, okay, now like bend over, I'm going to spank you. Like you might put us over his knee and like spank us and totally discharge the energy and shift our, our mood and our mode very quickly, like shift the energy. Right. Or we might be like on a tangent, just going off about something and ranting about something. And he might, um, like grab us and like plop us down on his lap and like contain us and like whisper something into our ear or like tickle us or flirt with us. And again, like reroute the energy, give it a space, a container. Um, he might penetrate us in that, right? Like it's like a way to play with that intensity of energy in the moment. And again, he might play fight with us. He might grab us and wrestle with us. Like if we're all pent up and build up and we're trying to start a fight and we're taking things personally, he might stay playful and humorous and like calm in that. And just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to grab her and wrestle with her and help her get out this energy. And it creates this transmutation that often will lead to intimacy or it will lead to merging again, right? It's like it discharges something in our feminine core and it allows for him to then also um, show up for us and be our hero and get to kind of um, fulfill his own masculine desire to penetrate, to lead us, to support us, to guide us. Because all men want to do that and provide that, even if they don't know how in the moment or they're disconnected from that, it's in their design as well to want to be our heroes. So they get to support us and help not only discharge, but like move that energy, make art with that energy, create with us in that instead of it creating separation, it creates deeper union. And there's so many fun ways men can do this, but essentially they just have to learn how to, in those moments, stay playful and curious and open and stay confident and calm and not reactive because that gives them the capacity to wield their consciousness to like, well, how does this energy in her want to move in the moment? How can I be of service to this energy in her to bring us back into union, to let this energy be consummated and harnessed and channeled instead of it leading to destruction? I'm going to lead us into a creative space, a generative space of connection and intimacy. And it just, you know, again, they can like have so much fun with it too. It can be, it can be like experimentative and playful and just, um, he can use his instincts in the moment to, to reopen us back up to love into our, our ability to merge with and be in union with him and to trust him essentially. And it does require a little bit of that dominance and authority, right? Cause he has to trust himself and his own authority and own masculine core to, well, she's like about to start a fight with me and now I'm going to grab her and spank her. Like he has to trust himself for that. He has to trust that fierceness or that like, firm stability in his own core to not react to us in that moment to not take it personally to to almost have this kind of like sense of humor but he's not diminishing us he's not making fun of us he's just he's inviting us back into love in those moments and and penetrating that constriction in us so to speak 
I love that. That felt like, um, like that still point of the rock with the wild, yes. wild water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're like crashing all over the place. Right. And he's just like, kind of, you know, sitting there entertained, smiling at us, calm, non-reactive. It's, you know, it, it's almost maddening, but it's also what we crave the most because it, it, it shifts something inside of us to have that reference point. Like I'm over here, totally chaotic and unstable and like overly expressive and dramatic. And, you know, my waters are just, I don't have any place to put them. And then here's the masculine, just kind of like smiling, holding space, present, calm, grounded. It's like this anchor uh, in the reference point that our nervous system feels that and orients to that, so to speak. Mm. It's like making art with it. You spoke to that beautifully, mm -hmm. making art out of it as opposed to a tumultuous fight. Right. Yeah. Are there any books that you would recommend on the polarities or even the art of the feminine? Anything that comes to mind with that? Hmm. Um, you know, I have a book list somewhere. I don't have anything. Um, off the top of my head that I would say this is like my number one go-to um, because I've really kind of explored a variety of different books. I wish I had like, this is like the one book that I always recommend mm -hmm. to people, but it, it honestly just varies so much. Um, and there's so many different offshoots of these topics, so to speak. Like there's a lot of good books on you know, helping women access the feminine surrender. And then the, the one you mentioned is a, is a very triggering one that also just helps to, I would say, create a new framework for a lot of the um, distortions that cause people to be triggered around polarity. Mm -hmm. um, but gosh, yeah, I'll have to maybe just give you like a list, like a book list, as opposed to just listing off some random ones. Um, you know, in the beginning of my path, I was really influenced by the teachings of David Data, but then I went really like deeper into much more nuanced teachings and kind of explored a lot of other um, resources at that point. So I'll, I can maybe just give you some kind of book list to, to work with. Okay, thank you. What's been your, your biggest lesson along the way? Yeah, this is, this question is a, um, it's a big one to chew on. So, you know, I feel like there's, there's a couple different things that come to my heart when I feel into that question. Um, I feel like, well, I guess first to clarify, do you, do you, feel like this question is more about my my path of what I'm teaching now in regards to union and polarity or do you just mean in general on my whole my whole path and journey to get here what has been the biggest lesson I think in general on your general. whole path okay. yeah on your whole yeah. path so yeah in general I would say the the first thing that came to my my heart is that um there's been a pretty consistent lesson that has um, come back to me time and time again in different forms and expressions along the way. And that's partially because I feel that when we are on a path of aligning to the new world that we're creating, aligning to higher destiny, we are constantly called to 
really surrender into the mystery and move beyond the mind and surrender our attachments in the physical world. And so because that has been such a, well, I'll say because that is a, I feel pervasive, it's like a, a, a lesson or a necessity or an initiation for anyone who's walking a, a path of evolution or transformation or um, coming into alignment with their true self, they have to constantly face these places of um, rectifying, we could say their shadow, their, the underworld, like going through the dark night of the soul, going through these death processes or ego death processes, identity death processes, because that's so important. I feel that throughout my whole process and journey over the past many years, I've been shown that essentially we as human beings alone, like just in our human self, we can't be trusted when we're not connected to the will of God. Mm. And it's, it sounds kind of dramatic, but it's, it's more so just a way to say like, we need the divine. We need God. We need the mystery. We need to trust in what is beyond the waking eye, so to speak, in order to truly evolve as humans or as a species or as a, a world, right? We have to be able to lean into what we don't know and to trust in the guidance of our soul at all costs, which can, those costs can be high because our human self wants what it wants. It wants its own desires to be fulfilled. It wants to perpetuate traumas and wounds. It wants to stay in cycles of fear and suffering and limitation. So when we're not oriented to something higher, when we're not oriented to our soul into higher divine destiny and divine will for us or for our soul, we constantly get entrapped, so to speak, within those places of limitation and fear because our mind is guiding us or our traumas are guiding us or our conditioning is guiding us or we're more easy to be controlled, to be brainwashed by certain things that are going on in the world. So we have to have a deeper inner compass, a deeper um, sort of source point that we're tapping into consistently that we are willingly surrendering into, which is scary for, for all humans, essentially, because it's like we have to let go of control. We have to let go of the known to get to that point. We have to trust in this deeper, intuitive, um, instinctual knowingness that our minds can't access on their own. Like, it's just we can't get to that place through the mind. But when we do start to access that, it's like it, it, there's nothing is ever the same in our life again at that point. You know, I know one of the questions you had kind of mentioned you might ask was like, well, are there any synchronicities that you've experienced along the way that have kind of supported you in your path, like relating to the unseen? And, you know, it's funny because when I was thinking about that question, what, what came to mind in regards to what I'm speaking to already is that when we are connected to our soul, like truly connected. And we're not just moving from our human self. We're moving from something deeper, the deeper currents of our nature and our being. 
our whole life becomes a series of synchronicities. Nothing is without meaning, nothing is without symbolism, nothing, you know, is um, wasted. No lesson, no experience, no trauma, no dark night of the soul is wasted. Everything is funneling into our higher destiny, so to speak, when we're connected to the soul. But if we're moving through our, the lens of just the human self, and we are totally disconnected from divine will, from our own soul path or soul journey, and we're only moving from this surface level of things, we don't get to taste that same texture of endlessness or the infinite. We don't get to have those constant synchronicities that are guiding us to the next piece or the next you know, um, unfolding, so to speak. So I, I would just, to sum it up, like to kind of simplify what I'm sharing is that I, I can't remember when it was that I had this experience myself of like a deeper, just a much deeper surrendering to the divine and to God. I've had many of those, but there was one point on my process where I had just gone through that. And I remember thinking to myself, the reason I need God or the divine is because I can't be trusted in just my human form alone without that higher, um, we'll just say without that inner compass or that higher calling of my soul guiding me, I'm just going to take all these little side paths because like, look, there's something shiny over there or my trauma is going to pull me in this familiar direction because that's just what I'm so used to experiencing, right? Or my fears are going to guide me away from this deep soulmate connection and union and relationship because I'm, I'm not in the deeper trust of my soul for guiding me back to this, this person to be a part of my path, my journey, my unfoldment. So now I'm going to choose the safer relationship, right? Because I'm scared of my own soul. I'm scared of what's actually calling me. I'm scared of my higher destiny. So now I'm going to stay trapped in this like karmic destiny, this mortal destiny. I don't get to experience and play in these realms of the golden era, so to speak, right? We get pulled into the density then. We get pulled into the illusion or some people call it the matrix, but there's, you know, essentially it's like we don't, we don't get to um, experience our own vastness when we're moving from just our human self. And it's not to say we transcend the human self and it's not a part of our process. Like this is not a spiritual bypassing piece of advice. It's more so like, it's not about negating our human self, but it is about understanding that without a connection to our own soul, it's without a deep devotion to opening to divine will. And even when that means the dissolution of parts of our identity or our safety mechanisms, without that, we, we just kind of become lost. You know, it's, there's, I've had too many experiences on my journey and path of not listening to my deepest knowing, my intuition, not listening to my soul, choosing a relationship because it felt safe or because I didn't want to feel my own loneliness because I, you know, like I was following just a, a, a lack of love within myself, trying to fill a void. Meanwhile, my soul is calling me somewhere else, but I, I didn't listen to that. And then it's like, okay, that becomes 
like a little bit of a, <laughs> I mean, it's all, it's all, it all serves in the long run, but it can become a little bit of like a um, diversion from what's actually, you know, calling to me, so to speak. So, and I've had to lose a lot of relationships on, on my path. I've had to walk away from a lot of communities. I've been in and out of things like many years ago that I didn't know were spiritual cults. Like I've had so much loss and, you know, destruction and dissolution on this path that I've really learned at this point that, um, it's so important to listen to the deeper intuition and the deeper knowing that we cannot access when we're stuck in our head and we're moving from fear-based limitations. It's like, we have to be able to stretch ourselves. We have to be able to align to something beyond ourselves. And it requires a lot of courage and a lot of deep surrender, but the reward of that is infinite because what we can access through that is very different than what we access when we're not listening to that, when we're just kind of like, you know, impulsively or unconsciously or unintentionally moving through life, so to speak. Um, so it's almost like we could say, we're really nothing without that. Like, yes, we are humans in these human bodies, but, but that is just really like minimal compared to the truth of what we are. And, um, truly opening up the potentiality of that is not possible without God. It's not possible without the divine because ultimately it's what we are, but we, it's so easy to separate from that knowing when we're stuck in the dense kind of baseline reality of just playing out our fears, playing out, you know, our stories, whatever it might be following the trend of the cultural norms. Like we have to kind of stray off that path and go off into the wilds of our soul and our spirit and our divinity, our connections to those things in order to really um, open up the doorways to, you know, a more fulfilling um, destiny, which really ultimately it's, you know, it's, it's different for every person, but it's, this is really, I would say, um, common to all of us that, you know, anyone that finds their way to this podcast, there's something within them that no matter where they are on their path, that is hungering for that communion with God, with the divine, with source, with their own soul and their path to that might look very different. But ultimately my encouragement is just to, um, to listen to their soul, to listen to that deeper knowing that is always going to require getting uncomfortable and pushing against edges and not choosing the safe path that's been well-tread, you know, choosing something that might, again, I've had to do this time and time again on my own journey. Like, wow, this is the doorway I least want to take because it feels the most terrifying. Mm -hmm. And also like, it's ultimately going to be the most rewarding too, if I can face myself in this. Right. And so it's kind of like, yeah, don't be afraid to face yourself. Don't be afraid to listen to your soul because it might feel scary stepping through that door, but everything that awaits on the other side is far beyond what our mind could ever comprehend. That was like, that could have been a whole episode, right? There. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how do I wrap this into a nugget that will like, <laughs> so I'm glad it landed. <laughs> very powerful, very powerful. How do you experience the mysteries? 
Yeah, such a beautiful question. So I, I experience the mysteries as um, almost like this. So I, I like to refer to it or kind of relate to the mysteries in a very feminine way because of my teachings and my, my work in the world. So it's kind of instinctual or intuitive for me to do that. But I like to relate to the mysteries as this almost like ever unfolding rose, so to speak, that it's like, even as the petals are blooming and blossoming, there are more petals beneath it. And it's like this, this never ending process in spiral. It's not linear. It's, you know, diving into the mysteries requires consummate trust and also conviction because we have to be able to, again, to access what's beyond the mind and beyond linear physical reality and the mundane, we have to surrender so deeply into a certain texture of faith and trust that our mind will never let us get to because the mind wants to know. It wants to seek the answers like why, 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 how, right? That's just how the mind operates. It likes to create stories. It likes to label things. It likes to compartmentalize. It likes to break down and analyze so that it feels safe, but that's not how the soul works. That's not how our nonlinear essence within our soul and spirit and heart operates. It's very nonlinear. It's the mysteries are very nonlinear. They, again, like they require this capacity to drop completely out of the mind and into this space within us that is opening to the pulse of God and the universe and nature beyond ourselves and trusting that we'll be met in that, even though we don't know how, we don't know what it will look like. We have to still like soften and melt into that. Or if we're looking at it from more masculine polarity vantage point, we could say, maybe it's not always so much of just a surrender. Sometimes it is maybe sometimes it takes again, a conviction of um, facing what needs to be faced in the mystery, right? There's, there's a death process we have to always undergo to face the mystery because it's the death of control. It's the death of the small self. It's the death of the mind's compartmentalizations and all the things we, we analyze and create and tell stories about to keep ourselves safe. We can't take those things with us into the mystery. We have to go in completely open and obliterated to what we've known ourselves to be and what we've known life to be. Um, if we don't have that willingness and we go in like with this, you know, um, sense of expectation or this protective identity construct that all just gets blasted wide open, right? It's like, it, we won't be as receptive to being penetrated by divine will if we enter into the mysteries that way. So you know, within my sort of feminine aspect, the reason I, I conjure up the image of a rose is that a rose is again, this, this mystical symbol of the feminine in some ways. And the feminine is um, ultimately, she is the gatekeeper of the mysteries because she's the gatekeeper of the womb. She's the gatekeeper of um, the nonlinear realms, so to speak, the masculine brings his consciousness and his light into um, that void of the feminine, the mystery of the feminine, he penetrates into those parts of her into the void of the mystery. And that's what creates life, right? So like, I like 
viewing the mysteries from these kind of metaphoric ways, because then our minds start, it has a reference point in that, but it starts to dissolve beyond the reference points into more um, mythopoetic understanding, which is like our soul speaks the language of, of what is mythopoetic, what is symbolic, what is beyond our mind and is more felt in our bodies and our hearts and in our souls. And so even just thinking of it that way, like for me as a woman, I think of it as, or I relate to the mysteries as this ever unfolding of my true self. Mm. And so one petal of like, I might remove this false petal of like a, an identity or a false part of myself, a, a trauma, a conditioned system, a belief that doesn't serve me. And then I'm, I'm one step closer to this blossoming of my true self, which is, you know, my higher self or my soul, so to speak, my pure essence in communion with God, but it is this ever unfolding journey, right? There are cycles and there are seasons and it's non-linear. And sometimes the rose is in full bloom. And sometimes she's shed all her petals and she's just this, the bare stem in the winter. And sometimes you have to go into the roots of, of her. Sometimes you have to work with the thorns. Like they're all a part of this unfoldment into the mysteries and, and, nothing is really um, uniform within that. Nothing is really predictable within that. And that's the beauty of it. And that's also why it requires so much trust and surrender. Because if we're trying to predict or construct or control the mysteries, we'll never have true access into, um, we could say their greatest depths and their greatest, deepest, most, most ancient truths. Like we can't access that through predictability or control or um, identity. It, it really requires this um, ability to lean in to something that is endless and never ending. There is no predictable endpoint, right? It's kind of like, it's about the journey and not the destination. If you're looking for a destination, you can't access the mysteries because they require an incredible amount of just being this, being with what is no matter how uncomfortable or unknown it is, can you just be with that? And that creates an incredible amount of openness and receptivity to experience miracles, truly. That felt like a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Should have started with these questions. Right? <laughs> that that was have, beautiful. If we started with them, we might've like gone into so many rabbit holes that people were just... <laughs> <laughs> and experience a little polarity nuggets. <laughs> yeah, polarity nuggets for sure. Mm. How do you root into the self? And this might look like, you know, practices, morning practices that you do that anchor you, however it feels for you. Yeah. Um, I would say just for me, rooting into the self. Yeah, like practices kind of vary just depending on <clears throat> where I'm at in my own process. I, I guess what I, I would say first is just it's, it's, an ongoing process that requires both on one end commitment and conviction and on the other side, a lot of deep surrender, right? Because to root into the self requires being able to kind of like I was saying, be with what is in the moment. And sometimes rooting into the self might look like rooting into incredible grief and going through a death process willingly. Sometimes it might look it's like something completely different, like hearing the call of the hero's journey and having to have the courage to step through a certain threshold, make a certain decision, 
leave a certain relationship, enter a certain relationship, right? Like that is a totally different process. And whatever that process is that is required might ask for a different part of ourselves to come forward. And it might ask for a different part of ourselves to die. So ultimately we have to be able to be fluid and to be open to what is needed in order to be true to that, we could say the true self, the higher self, as opposed to the small self. Um, it, it does require both conviction and commitment to ourselves and to, we could say God, the divine, our soul, but it also, and that could look like discipline, right? Like having a disciplined practice, having the ability to be disciplined, to even do the work on ourselves versus fall into like addiction or escapism or whatever it might be. But on the other side, the surrender process is what allows us to meet whatever is coming forward within the self moment to moment, no matter what it is and not run from it. And to not run from ourselves or our soul at all costs. And so the practices that I apply really vary depending on what is happening for me on a personal level. Um, I definitely tend to have some type of daily devotional practice. Um, it could be meditation. It could be, you know, I do a lot of deep feminine, like womb-based practices um, that drop me really deep into my feminine cord into surrender, into communion with God, in communion with the divine. But essentially, I also drink a lot of like ceremonial tea. Like I do a lot of tea ceremony to help me just be super present and really grounded and dropped in a lot of really deep nature communion. Um, prayer work, like I said, meditation, movement practices, I kind of vary these things, but ultimately all of it is like a, it's all like a cultivation process of what will specifically help me with what is happening now and where I am at now to truly enter into communion with the divine and to transmute whatever is in the way of that. Like I might need to have an emotional release process. I might need to go through a grief process. I might need to let a certain relationship go. I might just need to be in stillness for a few weeks or be deep in nature away from technology, right? But it's like, I won't know that if I'm not listening and I can't get to what's on the other side of that if I'm not willing to face or look at what is required to bring me into deeper communion with the divine. Because otherwise I'm just, again, like I'm in some kind of automation process in my own head, or I'm, again, I'm like moving from fear and restriction or whatever it might be. So it's ultimately, it comes back down to, for me, what do I need in this moment to bring me closer to God and to the divine and to move me beyond the control patterns of my mind and the, the, pain patterns of my wounds, my pain body that is constantly seeking to fill itself, to fill a void as opposed to embodying love or connecting to truth and to love and to God, right? So a really simple way to look at this is I have a, um, one of my teachers uh, said something really profound and simple, which was everything is either an act of love or a cry for love. And so if we look at it in that way and we can orient to the self in that honestly, moment to moment, is this activity or behavior or relationship or way of engaging in this relationship, is it an act of love or is it a cry for love? Because if I'm in the cry for love, I can't root into the true self. 
and there isn't space for me, me to be in deeper communion with others or with life or with the divine because I'm in this like graspy seeking or um, automated way of being right that that doesn't allow space to truly root into the self beautiful beautiful is there anything else that you would like to add to this conversation before we close let's see I guess maybe to sum up a couple of the last points, but bring in one last little nugget based off of the lessons that I've learned, including more recent lessons. I would encourage or sort of, yeah, I would just say I would encourage or advise anyone who is on this path of rooting into the true self, um, exploring the mysteries, getting closer to their soul and to the divine and to God or however we want to look at it. And even those who are on the path of higher union, because this is all a part of the fabric or framework or foundation of that. My encouragement would be to always orient to the deeper truth of the self when choosing to enter into relationship or union with another. Because if we are focused on them as a projection screen, as opposed to as a true mirror of the self and a mirror of deeper aspects of our, of our, of our nature or our soul, or we could even say our karma or our shadow or whatever it might be, we're going to miss the greater depths that is available through relationship. Meaning we might choose to enter into relationship kind of like I was mentioning simply out of loneliness. Like I just want <clears throat> not that there's anything wrong with like wanting company right along along the path home but the deepest relationships are oriented beyond just um having good company right it like that there's nothing wrong with that but ultimately there's there's a opportunity in relationships to really feel into am i do am i entering into this relationship to soothe my human loneliness and my pain to band-aid something, to avoid something within myself or my higher calling, to avoid something within my own soul because I just want to fill a void because it's just easy or comfortable or familiar or whatever it might be. Or am I actually being called into this relationship in union from my soul? Is there something that my soul is wanting me to experience here and can I actually, you know, be honest with myself about that so that I'm not mindlessly entering into relationships from, again, from a wound within me that I'm, again, nothing wrong with this because sometimes this is exactly how we have to learn. Like we get to experience ourselves through our relationships. We get to learn about our shadows and wounds through other people. But the more we advance along our journey, it's just less, we'll just say there's less time invested into things that kind of take us away from our own divine destiny when we enter into relationships from a very mindful, conscious place. Because again, we're letting our soul guide us. We're not moving from just the, the, the more primal 
aspect of our reptilian brain that is seeking comfort or playing out some kind of, you know, um, I don't even want to say addiction. It might just be this, this need, or it might just be something that is um, chemistry or less driven. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But essentially, as we really start to evolve as souls, it's really important to not betray our own soul and not betray divine will to just enter into a human relationship because of our pain. Because then we're also not able to serve the other person as love or consciousness, because we are trying to use them to you know, um, fix us or heal our own pain instead of actually showing up with the capacity to co-create something very deep and profound and epic and in alignment with higher destiny, so to speak, right? That's when relationships kind of become something that's more destructive as opposed to something that is pulling us towards our higher destiny. And it, it's a conscious choice to, to do this, to say, I'm not going to just enter into a relationship automatically because, well, I might be attracted to the person, we might get along, but is my soul actually like truly being nourished by this relationship? Or am I running from something? Am I running from God? Am I running from myself? Am I using this to band-aid something instead of getting courageous enough to explore what's underneath the band-aid and to allow union and intimacy to expose me? And this doesn't even have to be with a romantic partner. This can be in our friendships, right? Are we choosing friendships that nourish our soul and that invite us into our higher destiny? It doesn't mean that they can't be human and that we can't have certain karmic patterns, but ultimately I feel that the, the people that truly nourish our soul are relationships that even when we're going through death processes or changing or, or evolving or transforming, those, those people see us, all of us, they don't just see us as who they need us to be. They aren't just filling their own wounds or holes with us. They're actually able to meet us in those journeys and processes and unfoldings and dance with us in that and deepen with us and see us on a soul level. I feel like those are the kinds of people we want to really surround ourselves with if we're really dedicated to a path of growth so that we're not constantly just kind of getting like stuck in the bondage of heavy karmic relationships that aren't really taking us anywhere, so to speak. We might just be relearning the same lesson in different ways, but are we actually evolving as a soul? And this is where we actually get to be conscious and choose the kind of relationships that we're investing our time and energy into. It's not to say anything negative about relationships that are not that, but it's more just like an invitation because I have entered into relationships um, from a place that I would say was just betraying my own soul or my own connection to the divine. And ultimately, there's nothing um, inherently wrong with the lessons that we receive in that process. But we're living in a time when things are accelerating and the portals of opportunity and potentiality are very strong right now and they will only get stronger, but we have to choose to walk through those doorways by making different choices. And sometimes that will be incredibly confronting and nuanced. It requires us to say, well, I might really love this person, but do they actually serve my soul? And if the answer is no, then there's, there's something within that 
right? Like even being able to get close enough to our own soul to know that is a process, but that's sometimes we have to learn that through relationships that aren't in alignment in the long term. And again, that's just a part of the journey. But if I were to say like, here's a little piece of my own, you know, kind of excruciating lessons on the path to take with you, if you want to experience this higher union that we're speaking about is to um, not choose relationships that are a betrayal to the soul or to your own relationship to the divine or to your um, growth process. Like if it feels like it's weighing you down, if it feels like it's hindering your growth rather than inviting you higher, it ultimately is, there's a sacrifice that's happening on a spiritual level within that relationship. And there's a lot of opportunity to shift out of those patterns right now in our world and in the time that we're, we're in right now. But again, we have to be very self-aware and willing to, um, yeah, just see ourselves clearly within that. And um, again, lean into the mystery and um, listen to the guidance of our soul beyond just the surface level of how we normally operate within our lives and our relationships. That is a powerful place to end. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for that. And it'll be in the show notes and everything where everybody can reach out to Christina and experience the magic of the feminine and the masculine and the polarities and, and all of that. So thank you for this beautiful conversation. Yeah, it's been such an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.